Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm an unshit pair of BVDs. And I am shit shit Shanes. <laughs> you guys remember BVDs? Yeah. They sponsored this show, and I was like, man, I haven't heard BVDs in forever. <laughs> I don't know if they're still a company, but they were, you know, underwear company. Tidy White. underwear company. I remember BVDs, this little uh, blue-bellied... Blue Valley Drive-In that we had in uh, the small town I grew up that mm. was this like ice cream, you go there for frozen chocolate covered bananas and yeah, all kinds yeah. of good stuff. Maybe BVDs needs to come back like champion. Oh yeah. Oh, I was talking to my <laughs> friend Stacy from high school, telling her that, because uh, her family was the one that had owned it, like we need to do a, just a pop-up, you know, just a one day, two day, one week, whatever, <laughs> just so everybody who knew what the hell Blue v- or BVD, Blue Valley Drive-In was all about well i assume their food was quality and you didn't need a new pair of underwear afterwards i want to say it was i was a little kid so i mean the stuff i had was great but it was mostly ice cream and you know sundays and candy and can't go wrong with that exactly <laughs> all the best stuff welcome to episode 140 battle seven Woo! battle seven yeah it probably sounds cooler in Japanese. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> normally you'd be like, you'd be Battle at the Dome 7, because we're at the Tokyo Dome? We are at the Tokyo. This is actually the fourth annual Tokyo Dome show produced by New Japan Pro Wrestling. It will take place on January 4th, 1995 from the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, Japan, with an attendance of 52,500 people. Nice. It's the dome, baby. That's right. It's a lot of fucking people. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it's a lot of people. <laughs> I think what's its cap? Like sixty, ish. Thinking get up to seventy five. Wow. I think that first super show had like seventy something. Damn. Yeah. Either way, fifty. Uh, they definitely they definitely paid their uh, their rent on the building. No issue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> definitely not like this year where they're running like. 10,000 people in the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's all we're letting. But we're in back in Tokyo. We are. So Shane, what deliciousness did you bring us this time? Well, we lucked out today. As I've uh, complained many times before, uh, oftentimes when we have a Japanese, or a show in Japan trying to find something Japanese food-wise on a Sunday in Oklahoma is difficult. Uh, because for the longest time, places were closed down for COVID reasons or understaffed or whatever. Closed, uh, closed at five. <laughs> yeah, closed at five. We had the big freezes. We had, you know, extreme heat. And then we just had some really shitty options of places that I found along the way occasionally as well. But today we have... But, 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 but today. <laughs> Hashtag but first. Yeah, we have a, a, a Japanese twofer uh, from a popular place here in Oklahoma City 
Tamashi. They are known for their ramen. Uh, they are the place that I ate six, almost seven bowls of ramen to uh, secure my spicy ramen eating contests. I should have brought my trophy with me. Well, just yeah, so I what could uh, have it on the table here with what me. What place did you get? I won for my district. Um, Overall, I believe I got third or fourth. Okay, but you got a trophy. But, yeah, that's too much ramen. Yeah, that that was a whole lot of ramen. But I decided I'd give them a try today because I haven't eaten from there since then. And it just so happened that you know today, as we're recording this, it's National Dumpling Day. So I went for some Japanese dumplings, got some gyoza. Uh, they're handmade at Tamashi. Little pork, some cabbage rolled up inside of a, a nice little egg paper or yeah, whatever I'm, this is called, wonton paper. I don't know what the dough they use is, but something, it's something. Yeah, gyoza is one of my favorite favorite foods. Comes with a delicious little dipping sauce, and then I decided we'll get something else too, cause why not? Yeah, why not? We needed to add some flavor to this show that that you know, there's it's a long show. So <laughs> it's very, we needed our uh, energy. It's a very long show. It's a very long show. <laughs> So I got what's known as the, uh, I don't know if I'm saying it right, the chashudan. It's a savory braised pork, a sweet, and so- or a sweet sauce blend, a little truffle mayo, and some green onions all over rice. Yeah, super freaking tasty. It was very tasty. Yeah. It's... I almost, almost got this it, little... it felt like a, almost like a meat torn off of a short rib. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, nice. very tender. I almost got the, I don't remember what the hell they were called, those octopus ball thingies. Oh, uh, takoyaki or whatever? Yeah, takoyaki. Yeah. yeah. So I figured from Tamashi they'd probably be good as opposed to, I don't even remember the name of the place that I got them from yeah. the last time where they were just this mushy ball of blech. They're, they, it, can be, it can be really good. My issue with um, octopus and with the takoyaki is that like once I feel the octopus sucker in my mouth it just kind of like should i be chewing this you totally should it's good uh, yeah but <laughs> octopus are gross i know there's like smart or whatever but uh ew i think octopus would definitely have to be a texture thing probably yeah you're either gonna like it or you're not i have a thing where it's like if it I like if it, it chews back i uh kind of get in my head about it sometimes <laughs> but i'll try anything definitely yeah. give it a shot if you're ever in Oklahoma City, check out Tamashi. Awesome ramen, awesome other stuff, good drinks, and just just a cool little. It's a cool little location. Oh man, I just had an idea. Next time we go to Japan, I might I might uh, order something that I've seen before that I've been curious about. Not super weird, but kind of weird. What's that? It's um a it's like the bottom jaw of a fish, <laughs> but with like I guess some kind of. There's some meat on it, but it's like sold as an appetizer. And I've seen it on the menu every time I go to order from like a sushi place called Anaka or whatever. I'm like, that seems interesting, but you know, for the for the boys, uh, it's a little bit fun. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Why not? Interesting. It's probably just like you know, tastes like tuna or whatever. It's probably not anything too weird. I was hoping that there'd be a place in town that serves those. uh, It's just those like light fluffy Japanese style pancakes oh yeah because also today not only is it National Dumpling Day but it's also National Pancake Day and I thought some Japanese pancakes would just be awesome but yeah I don't know of anywhere in town that doesn't I think that I think they just I think it's like oh something super easy that like oh they just use like seltzer water or something and it like makes them big that could be completely wrong but you know enough about pancakes 
You never have enough about pancakes. Exactly. <laughs> Come on now. You look at it, bring me a kitchen three, two, four pancake for the table. Because mm-hmm. well, while we're still munching on these goodies in front of us, yep, yep, yep. Something that would happen right around the same time as this show would see Nebraska defeat the University of Miami in the Orange Bowl to win their first national championship since 1971. Yeah, baby. Starting a run of three of them in four years, going 49-2. and two Yeah, baby. Over those four years. Wow, oh, that's crazy. old Tom Osborne era. It just hasn't quite been back since then. <laughs> no, has not. Yeah, but I mean, that's a <laughs> he lot. He retired in 97, and they yes. I don't think they've won 10. I think they maybe only won 10 games like yeah. once since then. <laughs> I mean, they've tried different strategies and you know let's bring in this coach let's bring in this guy all right you know the i'm trying to remember bo pelini was one of them yeah now they've got scott frost who you know he was a husker at the time when he i was up there he wasn't on this championship team but no, he, was he was on one, one of the championship teams in that run yeah 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 because i remember him when i worked at blockbuster he'd come in and he was just a cool dude Everybody knew who Scott Frost was. Everybody knew who Tommy Frazier was. Brooke Beringer, or Beringer, R.I.P. Is he dead? Yeah, he died in a plane crash oh, in the late 90s. Yeah, R.I.P. What are your thoughts on the on this football championship, uh, Michael? I know that they're the Corn Huskers, and go. I uh, know that I've seen the flag in in front of houses, um, especially <laughs> in the late 90s, early 2000s in Oklahoma. And I've met families that were from Nebraska and Cornhusker fans. And after you told me that they won, went 49-2 and two in what, you said how many years? Is four that, years. In four years. That's a lot for them to be excited about. Mm-hmm. It probably extends for quite a long time. So I understand why they, uh, you know when why they stopped, felt that way. I moved to Oklahoma. Oh... It's all Shane's fault. It curse. is. Or it's was, not the. It's not the coach that, that was so the, good that we were the talking last about. year that they were in championship contention. And I want to say, didn't they split it with OU one year? I think that was the last year. No. Or something I, happened. I think they. They got like. Went to the. One got the Associated OU Press. The, the other one got the coaches' votes or I something like that. For I can't remember what it was exactly, but yeah. Since then, since two thousand. Actually, their run their run co- coincided with University of Oklahoma being bad. Yeah, that too. Because you know, it was like the like part of the like six year run that University of Oklahoma actually was not very good. That they all of a sudden Nebraska was like this juggernaut. Yeah, yeah. While they were like on their rebuild, uh, Nebraska hit their stride, yeah. and then they kind of swapped spots. Yep. But enough about football. Yes, please. Let's head to Japan and talk some wrestling. So, usually. Whenever we talk about people, I usually give the last time that we've seen most of these guys. Basically, standing, we saw most of them at Battlefield 94, which is the Tokyo Dome show in 1994, episode 109. That was the last time we saw most of these guys, unless I say otherwise, basically. So just... Yeah, you know, caveat. Caveat, basically. Mm, I just we don't, don't want to be out here repeating Literally ourselves. just don't want to have to say it like 19 times. Yeah, because yeah, the there's at least 19 so guys on this show. Episode, what was it, 94 or something? 109. 109. <laughs> yeah. Battlefield 94. There we go. By the way, I mean, <laughs> if you're following along, which hopefully you are, it's our first show of 1995. Woo-hoo! Senior year, baby. Or, I guess for us, technically, it's... 
This is like season three now. Season four. Season mm-hmm. four. Holy shit! Senior year. Yeah. Woo! Maybe we're, we're good at this we're now. Growing up. Oh, just think. Next year is going to be like Saved by the Bell college years. Yeah, it was only uh, yesterday we watched. Starcade Stark- 83. Yeah, Starcade 83. And then, you know, some, some can't ever forget Sam Bunkhouse Stampede. Never forget Bunkhouse Stampede. Never forget. Never watch. But never forget. Yeah. Never forget. Never watch. But you can find all of these matches on New Japan Pro World. Basically, they separate them out into individual matches. So there's nothing in between. It's literally just match after match after match. Yeah, that's just kind of how world works. Is like it's you search by match, not shows for older stuff. Newer stuff, you it's it's the shows, but there's older stuff like you don't you can't just click on it and it's a three hour video like you're watching, um, you know, SummerSlam '92 or something. Yeah, yeah. There is no just kind of nice home video upload. It's just individual match, individual match. Yeah, can't imagine how long the show would be if. Uh, if we had to wait between the matches. I don't want to imagine that. Especially with commentary that we don't understand very yep. well. So we head straight to our first match. El Samurai versus Sinjiro Otani for the UWA World Welterweight Championship. Now we haven't seen either of these competitors since Best of Super Juniors 94, which is episode 119. So we've seen them before. Yeah. Or since, you know, in between. The UWA, the belt that we're talking about, is actually a Mexican promotion. But the belt had made its way over to Japan because people like to go to Mexico to work a few dates and whatnot. And they won the belt, brought it back to Japan. and Yeah, it's good for UWF as well, for their belt to be shown on such a high-profile show. Exactly. So the match gets going, it's back and forth to start with Otani working the legs until Samurai is kicking away and delivering a body slam for two. El Samurai starts working the arm only for Shinjiro to counter into a single leg crab and other methods to work the legs some more. Samurai is put into a chin lock, which he escapes with a jawbreaker, hitting a pile driver and a back suplex. El Samurai continues with a neckbreaker and a modified surfboard before delivering a brain buster and applying a Boston Crab. Another backbreaker from Samurai, but then misses a dropkick, allowing Otani to hit one of his own to regain control, as he hits a body slam and a running senton for a two-count. Back to the mat work from Sanjiro, only for El Samurai to counter into a weird submission momentarily, before hitting a superplex for a near fall. Samurai ducks a spinning heel kick and delivers a drop kick to send Otani out to the floor, which he follows out with a tope suicida. Uh, yeah, brutal drop kick. And, like, right into the steel. He was not once every match WWF suicide dive. No. <laughs> he, he, uh, he went for it. This is more similar to, like, what you see Darby Allen do, where it's like, this man doesn't care about himself, obviously. <laughs> Back into the ring, El Samurai with a backbreaker and heads up top for a diving headbutt for a two count. Continues the attack with a bridging German for a near fall and a tombstone pile driver for a two count. Bringing out the big stuff. This is a match for a belt. Sinjiro fires up with a spinning heel kick to send Samurai to the floor before flying out with a plancha. Rolling El Samurai back into the ring to then deliver a springboard dropkick to the back of the head for a near fall. 
Otani places Samurai on the top rope and follows up to hit a Hurakarana for a two count. But El Samurai counters into a pin attempt of his own for a near fall. Sanjiro sends Samurai to the ropes, who proceeds to slide under Otani, getting up to hit a reverse DDT, placing him on the top rope to hit a Hurakarana of his own for the pin. And the no, Sanjiro gets his hand on the ropes. It's kind of nice when you don't exactly know somebody's finish because you're like, oh, like this. I felt like this could be the end. <laughs> That's also something I'd like to see more of: is matches that don't end with somebody's finisher, just to keep everybody honest. I yeah. wish I saw it a little more often than I do. Absolutely. But it's nice watching some older stuff when they seem to do that more often. But also when you're not super familiar with the guys. It's like, I've seen these guys, but I couldn't tell you, like, yeah. oh, he did a head scissor off the second buckle. That means it's over. Yeah, just because somebody decides to do a figure four doesn't mean that Ric Flair has to come down the next week and, you know, gift them the finishing move for them to use every time. Just, yeah. you know, use it every now and then. We want different finishes. <laughs> El Samurai continues the punishment with multiple power bombs for a near fall. Goes for a vertical suplex, which Otani floats over. And the two men then trade waist locks until Sanjiro hits a bridging dragon suplex. For the pin. And, and the win. win. And a surprising finish, too, because like, Sanjiro was working from underneath, it seemed, the majority of the match. Pulled out that, that win. Yeah, you get that, that, that sneaky baby face win. I don't know why something about him reminded me of uh, Dean Malenko. It could just be dark hair, black trunks, wrestling Japanese style, but I don't know. Yeah, it yeah. Was just, I was getting some Malenko vibes from him. A little more... Um, it could have been the way he was going into some of the submission stuff, too. Yeah, a little more catch, a little less flash. Yeah. So we go to our second match. The Great Sasaki versus Norio Hanaga for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. I love Hagana's, like, Japanese guy with a perm. It's, it's good. <laughs> so we haven't seen Suzaki since Super J-Cup First Stage, Episode 114, or Hanaga since Super Show 1, Episode 65. Damn. So he was way back there since we've seen him. The two men are back and forth with mat work to start until Norio starts working the arm using the ropes liberally with Great Sasaki screaming in pain. Yeah, just, you know, crank that crank that arm across the top rope. Why not? Sasaki heads to the floor to regroup, only for Hinaga to follow out to run Great Sasaki into the ring post, shoulder first. Posted. Back into the ring, Norio continues with a pile driver, more arm work, and a rubber band slam. Sasaki begins to fire up, only for Hinaga to deliver a jumping neckbreaker. But Great Sasaki comes back with a spinning heel kick. The two revert back to back and forth mat work. When Norio picks up Sasaki and dropping him crotch first across the ropes before going back to some arm work. And there's of course of course a pop, but I love um Hagana's he's just healing it up, like not listening to the ref, you know, using the ropes, not breaking it's good, it's it's good like, stuff. Fuck you. People haven't seen me in sixty something episodes. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna do what I want. Um, you're gonna, I'm gonna leave a leave a uh, <laughs> leave a mark. Maybe rip this man's arm off. Naga goes for a vertical suplex, only for Great Sasaki to float over. So Norio hits a low blow 
and a clothesline. But then Sasaki catches Hondango with a handspring back elbow descending to the floor, followed by a tope con hilo. Back into the ring, great Sasaki hits a drop kick to send Norio out to the ramp, which Sasaki follows out to hit an Asai moonsault. They go back in with great Sasaki hitting a bridging German for a two count. O'Connor roll with a bridge for a near fall. And Naga comes back with another jumping neckbreaker for a two count and heads up top, only for Sasaki to meet him there with a leaping kick and a superplex for a near fall. Great Sasaki then hits a tombstone piledriver, goes to the top for a rounding body press, only for Norio to get his knees up, before cradling Sasaki up for the pin and, and the, the win. win. It's good shit. I love the... It's not shifty heel work. He's just like, he's, just, he's there, there to win. He's a man on a mission. I mean, outside of, you know, the low blows, but. I don't really remember him all that well. I mean, Sasuke I do, but yeah, I don't remember much about Hanaga from the, the, the second show. time we've seen him. Yeah, so. I mean, I don't remember him the first match. I couldn't say what he it was. was. Probably in like a six man or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah I but I, I really, en- I really enjoyed him here. I think that, yeah, he, he stood out to me. He made his mark. We then go to our third match. Akatoshi Saito, Kanaki Kobayashi, and the Great Kabuki versus JJ Jax of Akira Nagami and Takayuki Izuka and Osama Kido. So Nagami starts us off with a drop kick and tossing Kobayashi out to the ramp to give him a body slam before hitting another drop kick which brings Saito over to brawl on the ramp to allow Kobayashi to regroup. Back in the ring, Saito continues the attack with stiff kicks, only for Nagami to catch one to get back on offense. Izuka comes in with a snap suplex, body slam, and begins to work the leg of Saito. Back body drop by Izuka before Kido comes in to stomp away on Saito and work the leg some more. Nagami back in for a chop fest with Saito, with him getting his head smashed into the corner. Bringing in Kabuki, who delivers several shots, but Nagami is able to escape to bring in Kido. Kabuki and Kido with some back and forth action until Izuka comes back in to work the arm. Kobayashi then helps Kabuki escape with an elbow to the back of the head, before tossing Izuka out to the ramp to hit a northern light suplex. Back in the ring, Kobayashi locks on a Boston Crab, followed by Saito hitting a Uranagi for a two-count. Izuka fires up to get into a slap fight with Saito before JJ Jax hits a double-team shoulder block, followed by a vertical suplex and a Boston Crab by Nogami. You know what JJ Jax stands for? I've been trying to figure out what the hell that is for the longest no time. No clue. I think I looked it up, and I think it's like the Japanese Jolly Jax, and I'm like, this is not a, the right name. J.J. Jax sounds like a character from fucking Mortal Kombat or something. I guess there's Jack's Mortal Kombat, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's like Japanese Jolly, but I don't uh, know. We'll I, get back to the match and we'll uh, we'll let you know at the end of it. Yeah, for sure. I, I always thought it sounded like a soap opera character because I mean you've got Jasper Jackson. Oh yeah, yeah. General yeah. Hospital. Mm-hmm. So J.J. Yeah. his daughter. Or... It's it's actually pronounced J.J. Jax. Maybe one just stutters. Could be. That's Izuka's uh, gimmick, but, you know, we don't really see promos here, so (laughs) we're not sure. Body slam on Nagami, followed by Kido coming in with a top rope knee drop to continue the punishment. 
Kido then with a swinging neckbreaker for a two count, but Saito fires up with some kicks, only to be taken to the wrong corner, allowing Izuka to go boot crazy on him, followed by a back suplex and a single leg crab, which Kobayashi comes in to break up. JJ Jax with a double back elbow. Nagami with a snap suplex for a near fall, but Saito lays out Nagami with a stiff kick, which brings in Kabuki, who delivers a clothesline for a two count. JJ Jax then hits with a double team clothesline on Kabuki. Izuka charges into a big boot, allowing Kobayashi and Kabuki to team up, only for Izuka to duck and come back off the ropes with a dropkick, which misses as both men move to avoid. They try for a double team back body drop, but it's telegraphed, allowing Izuka to kick Kobayashi away before hitting a belly to belly suplex on Kabuki for a near fall. Kido comes in and starts putting the Wakakatami on Kabuki, followed by putting it on Kobayashi. But Saito breaks it up both times. Nagami comes in with a top rope drop kick on Kobayashi, but it knocks him back to his corner, allowing Saito to tag in and deliver a spinning heel kick. More stiff kicks from Saito, but Nagami catches him to hit a back suplex and a bridging German that is broken up by Kobayashi. In Siguri on Kabuki, JJ Jax teams up to hit a combo kick to the gut bulldog, followed by Nagami coming off the top with a splash for the pin. And no, Kobayashi breaks it up, and a Pier Six breaks out. I mean, what is a what is a six man without the Pier Six? Yeah, it's gotta so it's gotta happen six. at some point. Nagami goes for a suplex on Kabuki, but Kobayashi kicks him in the back to prevent it, followed by Kobayashi hitting a back suplex. And Kabuki with a lariat for the pin and, and the win. win. It does stand for Japanese Jolly Jacks. I was right. I don't know why they were called that. They are not happy-go-lucky in the ring. No, they, they are, are just heels. yeah. They, they are, are yeah. Heels. Maybe it's maybe it's like a tongue-in-cheek thing where it's like oh you know. Yeah. I guess like, it has to be if they're like Japanese Jolly Jacks. They're like yeah. Look at look at my big smile where I while we uh, you know. Bump into the ref. It's like New Day. You know, nobody really knew what the hell that was supposed to be all about when they started. And they were heels. They were heels. That's what I'm saying. They were heels. But nobody knew what the hell New Day meant. Because you know, wasn't, wasn't it Cody and uh, Ted DiBiase? For New Day? Yeah, there was, a, there was a New Day before New Day. Oh, really? really? They just tried it again later. The, I know Cody was in it at least. I think it was Cody and Ted DiBiase before they... Moved into Orton's little until they start before they started doing Legacy. Hmm. That's what they called themselves. Yeah, I don't even remember that. I just remember them being Cody and I just listened DBLC. to a Cody Rhodes music episode. <laughs> so we had a. I thought I was like, that's a fun piece of trivia. Yeah, for sure. Not the first New Day. No, the, the the not as successful New Day for sure. Definitely no. I mean, they they were very very much better as Legacy, but ooh, Ted DiBiase. Let's head to our fourth match, Yuji Nagata. I know that. Versus okay. Koji Kanamoto. So this is the first time we've seen Kanamoto. And it's also the first time Japanese crowds have seen Kanamoto not in the Tiger Mask gimmick. Oh, let's see that is. I was like, I don't know. I've seen yeah, Koji I Kanamoto. Know. Yeah, he's uh, the maskless tiger, Koji Kanamoto. Poor guy. I mean, you know, he was probably tired of wearing those cute ears. So a feeling that process with each delivering some strikes starts us off. Kanemoto hits a spinning heel kick to gain the advantage, 
followed by a body slam and a moonsault for a two count. Koji continues with some more kicks, only for Nagata to hit a T-bone suplex to take over on offense, working the arm of Kanemoto. Koji counters to grab the leg, only for Yuji to counter right back into an ankle lock, which Kanemoto escapes to hit more kicks. I like that Yuji Nagata's, like, heelish here. Some bullying him with some slaps to the face and stuff. I don't know. I'm, I'm used to dad He's Yuji. definitely not the blue justice that we, yeah. that we know. Yeah, he's, yeah I mean, you know, granted, he's uh, in much younger and more spry here, but yes. uh, he's not the man that I've seen in the last three or four years on a regular basis, typically in six-man tag matches. Yeah, I don't know him from recent Adam. times, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no comparison. Nagata with knee strikes and an insiguri before locking on a tight headlock. Point. Before transitioning into an armbar and a leg lock when Koji tries to escape. More mat work from the two. Even at one point, they both have ankle locks on each other at the same time, yelling at each other to submit. It's great. I love the, That's like... That's a pretty cool spot, I'll, I'll admit. Yeah, I love the, the style that they're kind of working here is, like, like shoot wrestle-ish, where it's like they're doing catch stuff, but it's not like as a, a crispy like British style. It more resembles, you know, like a traditional like college wrestling match with the way they're trying to get advantage and whatnot. Granted, it's not quite that, but I kind of appreciate the realism they're trying to bring to it. It's a different vibe. They get back to their feet and Yuji goes kick crazy hitting a German suplex only for Kanemoto to counter into an armbar, which Nagata escapes by making it to the ropes. Koji... Yuji sells that armbar so well, like, and I love that it's like the... Yeah, it breaks the German for the one count and just grabs his, his fucking arm. Just like, oh, I, got, I know what I'm doing when I land. Immediately after, he goes right back to the armbar, so forcing Yuji to make the ropes once more. Kanemoto looks to hit a dragon suplex, only for Nagata to reverse to take Koji down into an arm trap crossface, which is better known as a yes lock. Yeah, for sure. And I love that too. It's like as soon as he uh, does the, he does like, puts him in the full Nelson, but it's just like a trick to get the arm again. It's uh, totally my shit. The crowd's loving it too. Is that the technical term for it? An arm trap crossface, yes. Sure. It sounds like word salad. It's a, it's a Beck song. <laughs> <laughs> they caught me in the arm trap crossface at the gates of hell. Because the yes lock, like, cause the, you can hear it. Because it depends on how you where you put the arm. Because like the yes lock, they trap he traps the arm, but like while the crossface, uh, the crippler crossface is slightly different, where they don't trap the arm. So it's just basically what they do with that arm. It's, oh, yeah, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Well, slight modification. That's how you get to 1,004 holds. Boom. That man's not on this show. Should be. Koji. Koji. Trivia Koji. question. Yeah. Who is the man of 1,004 holds? You already mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, you did. That one's for you, listener. We're not answering. We know it. Koji does make the ropes to break the hold. More kicks and a release German from Yuji for a two count. Locks on a cross-face chicken wing, but Kanemoto makes the ropes again. It's the year of the chicken wing! Belly-to-belly suplex by Nagata, then locks on a, the cross-face chicken wing again, 
before transitioning to a sleeper, forcing Koji to crawl to the ropes once more. Yuji starts to run the ropes, but Kanemoto catches him with a drop kick, starts delivering multiple kicks to the head before heading up top for a spinning heel kick. Vertical suplex before Koji heads up top again, coming off with a really bad looking shooting star press for the pin <laughs> and, and the win. win. I mean, you know, and there's, uh, there's, it's happened a couple times, but some landing on the head on, on this show. Yeah. It's not pretty at all. Yeah. More worried about the guy who won. <laughs> yeah, Eugene Nagata um, walks like that for a reason now because he's only got like one vertebrae, <laughs> vertebrae in his neck. They've been fused together. But like a diamond, not through surgery, <laughs> just from being smashed over time. So we head to our fifth match Manabu Nakanishi versus Hiroyoshi Tenzan. I know these guys too. So this is actually Tenzan's return from excursion in Catch Wrestling Association in Germany. Mm-hmm. Where Tenzan will go on to kind of be a, like, I believe... Centerpiece. Yeah, he's like a centerpiece, like, late 90s, uh, early 2000s stalwart of New Japan. He's Now he's basically our commentary dad. He rarely wrestles, and Manabu, I believe, just retired yeah. for good year and a half two years ago yeah like right before covid, COVID basically yeah. hit full scale mm-hmm. so yeah like yeah these guys uh put in the work and tenzon was you know it some points in the promotion when it wasn't at its highest or whatever he uh was kind of the the belt bearer he's i believe won quite a few g1s few we, we will see tenzon for quite some time from this point forward basically oh. So Manabu tries some shoulder blocks to start, but they don't phase Hiroyoshi. He is then gorilla press slammed and clotheslined over the ropes to the floor. Back in the ring, Tenzan with right hands, headbutts, some chops, and more clotheslines until he charges into the corner, only for Nakanishi to catch him and hit a belly-to-belly suplex. Manabu with a few forearms, but then Hiroyoshi delivers a big boot and a spinning heel kick. Nakanishi fires up with right hands and chops of his own, only for Tenzan to take down Manabu with a big chop. Starts to wear him down with a chin lock, which he escapes with a jawbreaker. Nakanishi goes to a chin lock and a headlock, when he starts spinning Hiroyoshi around him, before stopping him down to the mat. Is that our airplane spot? I don't... That's one spot that I'm just like... I don't think I ever want to have done to me. Like, <laughs> yeah, just like, I feel like I'm just going to vomit. It's like the teacups <laughs> at, um, like, Disney World or, you know, a state fair. It's like, I mean, I don't, I'm not really interested in being nauseous. While being in a headlock. Like, it's just like, <laughs> oh, you're yanking yeah. on the neck okay. while spinning okay. around. Yeah, like, I was thinking that it was the airplane spin, which I believe there is an airplane spin on this show. Body slam and a running elbow drop from Manabu for a two count. He applies the Scorpion Deathlock, only for Tenzan to power out of it easily. Hiroyoshi with a powerbomb that causes Nakanishi to go neck first into the mat. Follows with a Senton before heading up top for a diving headbutt for a near fall. Tenzan continues the attack with a pile driver, some chokes, a snapmare, and heads up top again for a moonsault, only for a two count. Or... He actually just gets up while the 
count still being counted by the ref. Yeah. And then proceeds to complain. I think that he was about the count. Yeah, yeah. I think he was just being like the overzealous like big boy heel. Yes. But uh it is it is pretty funny. I thought he hasn't been like as as goofy as that spot was <laughs> so far. He's just been no selling and throwing him around. For some reason I wanted to say he was the unchained gorilla, but that is um not Tenzon, that is Makabe? Makabe, yes. Togi Makabe. I got my dads mixed up. You did. Tenzon starts laying it in with Mongolian chops before hitting a mountain bomb, which is like a mix between a Death Valley driver and a back suplex. It was like a... Like he picks him up, but then it like goes off the side. It was weird. It's kind of like a... Death Valley Driver, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Death Valley Driver, but like. But it just doesn't to go the side. To the side; it goes backwards instead. So yeah, yeah. Like... Kind of neat. Uh, also, not a fan typically of the Mongolian chop. These are probably the best Mongolian chops I've ever seen in a match. Just, just saying. I mean, he's the master of them. Mm-hmm. Or at least he was. He was. I've seen him do them later. I wasn't a fan. I liked him here. But he does hit that mountain bomb for the pin, and, and the, the win. win. Good, solid stuff. Good, you know, these mm-hmm. singles matches have all been delivering solid Japanese pro wrestling. I think the only thing that surprised me about this match was that it's Tenzon's first match back in New Japan. They're putting him in a big spot at, on the Wrestle, you know, the Tokyo Dome show. But he's going up against Manabu Nakanishi, who was kind of like their big stud, just like, Literally, it feels like just like a year and a half ago, like bringing him over to WCW, putting him in the crowd, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, and they're basically having tens on, it's kind of a glorified squash match a little bit. Yeah, in that way where it's like, oh, well, he's just going to do your gimmick now because he's bigger and younger. Yeah. But like, the other, but the thing is, is Nakanishi's not old. Yeah. No, there's still <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, don't put him out to pasture yet, guys. Come on. But I mean, you know, it doesn't mean... Doesn't mean he can't still go on a run. It's it just, just builds it, up Tenzon. It but... just kind of surprised me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. In that way. For sure, because like when it was over, I was like, "Wait, who came back from excursion just now?" <laughs> but you know, the guy from comes back from excursion doesn't always go over like that. No. So we head to our sixth match: Michi Yoshi Ohara and Shiro Koshinika versus Tiger Jeet Singh Senior and Tiger Jeet Singh Junior. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So the last time we saw Kushinika was at the G1 Climax 93, episode 97. Ohara at Super Show 2, episode 65. And Sing Senior at Super Show 1, episode 55. And Sing Junior might be best remembered as being Tiger Ali Singh in the WWS. I he's love... not in the WWF very long, no. but he's probably best remembered for that. Yeah, the uh, I, it's funny. I have it written down, but I haven't said them as it goes on. But so, like the matches have names. Some some of them do. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, like this one is dubbed like the Samurai Spirit, and it's. And I was like, oh, is that just some goofy shit they put on the internet? But then you can see on like the Tron in the. Yeah. While the match is happening, it'll it's like shows the New Japan logo. It says like the Samurai Spirit on. It. It's like, well, I guess they have swords here, but yeah, some of them make more sense than others. It's just kind of interesting. It's kind of like uh, early ECW would be like have the title I mean, screens and stuff. 
Just like it being called Battle 7. Yeah, but Samurai Spirits sounds way cooler than Battle 7. It's like giving every match, or, or most of your matches, a like tagline. It's like, oh, you know, why not? Anything helps when you've got two Tiger Jeet Sings in the ring. That's right. Or around it. <laughs> to say, yeah, more mostly around it. Yep. So the Sings haven't even made it to the ring when everyone starts brawling out into the crowd. We've she... got swords. We've got umbrellas. We've got an umbrella and a sword. Koshinika slamming Senior's head into the guardrail, only to be hit with his rapier in retaliation. See, I swear I heard somebody sing in English, but with a Japanese accent, something about holy shit or son of a bitch or something like that. But I don't know for sure if that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it hearing. was probably Tiger Jeet saying. They're both Canadian, technically. Yeah, so they're just like cursing in English, <laughs> like at the crowd. Senior uses an umbrella across the back of Koshinika, while Junior uses a guardrail across the back of Ohara. Senior then joins Junior in the beating of O'Hara until Kashinika steals away the umbrella and drags Senior into the ring. Senior tosses Kashinika out of the ring while Junior tosses O'Hara into the ring so Senior can go to work on him, ripping at his mouth and placing him in a nerve hold. Ah, nerve hold. Just pulling on somebody's mouth, so not nice. Plus you're going to get bit, man. Senior runs... O'Hara into guardrails around ringside, but then the young lions get in the way, allowing the match to finally settle into a real match. Hmm. Sort of. Yeah, I mean, this, I would say politely, is not for me. Well, yeah, honestly, I had my head turned for a second, and you stopped <laughs> after you said this uh, and I thought I heard you say this uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was being, I, I held myself back a little. Junior with a belly-to-belly suplex, stomping away on O'Hara, delivering an insiguri, only for O'Hara to no-sell and scream. So Junior hits a dropkick and places him in a tree of woe, where the Sings bring the punishment. Junior grabs an armbar while Senior goes to mess with Kashinika, and the ref doesn't know what to do. Senior continues to mess with Kashinika, allowing O'Hara to recover and attack from behind, putting them in control, as Kashinika hits multiple turnbuckle smashes of senior. Double headbutts, O'Hara with a leaping lariat, locks on a sleeper to wear down senior, but he makes the ropes to break the hold and begins to fire up, sending O'Hara into the turnbuckle. Junior takes over with a spinning heel kick and a powerbomb for the pin, only for Kashinika to break it up. Senior's back in only to be taken to the corner, allowing Kashinika to come in and hit a hip attack. O'Hara delivers a running boot, but Senior no-sells and low-blows O'Hara. Senior then just calls Junior into the ring to take over with a running clothesline in the corner. Which I thought was that was a funny spot, too. Like Senior's just like, I'm winded. Eh, come in. Go, yeah, yeah. Come in finish this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, off. yeah. Maybe, go, go make me proud. Show me, your, show me your lariat. We've been working on it. Senior has a foreign object in his hand on the apron, with Junior trying to Irish whip O'Hara into him but he's reversed, sending Junior right into the corner. Pier 6 breaks out, as if it ever really didn't ever not be happening. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, yeah, Pier 6, the match. With O'Hara and Senior in the ring, as O'Hara uses the foreign object, while Kashinika uses the umbrella on the outside. O'Hara with a body slam, multiple sliding elbow drops for a two count, before Irish whipping Senior into a hip attack from Kashinika. Junior has recovered and drags Kashinika out to the floor, while O'Hara sends Senior to the ropes. 
He telegraphs the back body drop. So Senior kicks him and starts choking him down for the pin and the win. This is like having a ECW match in front of 52,000 people instead of 1,000 people where you're like interacting with the crowd and you already have a crowd that's into that kind of thing. And this is just like... Mm, yeah. And it's like violence without the violence. Um, I liked the hip attacks not played for comedy. Yes. I thought those were uh, nicely executed when they happened. The I'm going to rip your mouth apart thing looked like it could hurt. <laughs> yeah, it looked like it could hurt. I wouldn't want anybody... I wouldn't want some fucking gross wrestler's hands in my mouth. <laughs> I don't want fucking anybody's hands in my mouth, but definitely not Tiger Jeet Singh. Definitely not. Yeah. Tiger Jeet Singh or Abby. Or not Abby, Abby. Like Abby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a sumo wrestler. Abby, as in uh, Abdul the Butcher. We head to our seventh match. Tony Palmore versus Sting. In a semi-final match of the Final Countdown BBD Tournament. Whew. Uh, yeah. So, Paul Moray was a world champion kickboxer in the late 70s. Oh. He has, like... I was confused. Like, this guy's got, like... He's got gloves on. Gloves on. No shoes. Um, but, like, he's got, like, lightweight, like, boxing gloves. And, like, red karate pants. I basically figured out... After this match and the next match, we're gonna. Cut. They basically tried to throw together a MMA style tournament. This is that mini thing, tournament. That thing Anoki likes to try to get yeah. over all the time, and nobody ever really bites. There's a reason, Anoki. Yeah, it is. It does make for moderately bizarrely compelling thing because, like, these guys don't look like they know what they should be doing. No, and they it's don't. the same with. All of the matches, and you can tell when people are upset, especially when we get to Anoki and the big white guy. So were they uh, the inspiration for the Brawl for All? or I mean, MMA definitely so is. So UFC has started at this point. Okay. UFC 1 has happened. And like Pride was already a thing? I don't know if Pride's... I think, I think Pride may predate UFC, but like... MMA took off in Japan before it took off in the U.S. Yes. It makes sense, because early UFC was boring. Yeah. UFC 1 is like a far cry from what UFC is today. Yeah. By all means. Remember the first time I watched UFC? Yeah, it was horrible, because I kept waiting for them to fight, and it was just like, Ken Shamrock is laying on top of this guy, not doing anything, just laying on top of him. Um, I mean, rest in peace, Kimbo Slice. That was the era where I where I had friends that would order it, so we'll go over there and watch it. But I wasn't a big UFC guy. But it's like, oh, that's when it was like its hottest around that era. So I watched some matches, but Kimbo Slice was fun because he's a crazy man. Rest in peace. He had like seven kids, named them all Kevin, no matter their gender. I mean, George Foreman named all his boys uh, George. So. Yeah, fuck. I guess that's where he got it from. <laughs> like, well, George can do it. I can do it. Yeah. They're so messed up in the brain, they just have to name everyone the same so they never forget their names. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Kevin. Mm, I don't Kevin. mean that as a mean I thing. I know. I mean, mean, it's just like... Mm. They are messed up in the brain because they've been hit so many times. <laughs> yeah. So the match gets going, and Palmore throws some kicks and punches, never really connecting with any significance. Sting hip-tosses Tony and grabs a chin lock but Pomero gets a foot on the ropes to break the hold. Tony finally connects with a kick to the head 
a spinning kick, and a scissor kick to take the stinger down for a seven count. It's a lot of sting standing and this guy doing like some jabs and kicks to the leg. Parmori goes for a front kick, only for Sting to catch him and drive him down to the mat. Tony's back up and he hits another scissors kick and gets some punches to land to the body. But it's one too many kicks for the Stinger as he catches one and takes Pomori down to the mat and applying the Scorpion Deathlock for the submission and, and the, the win. win. Uh, weird. That, that was fast. weird. The scissor kicks, I'm like, man, I bet Sting is probably a little pissed from getting this guy's calf to the back of his head. It wasn't soft. It wasn't the hardest I'm sure this guy could do, but also this man's a little more nimble than he looks. He's got a bit of a belly on him. He's seen better days. Also probably could have used a haircut. <laughs> I know I'd be getting a haircut if I was going to be in front of 52,000 people. So we go to our eighth match. Gerard Gardou versus Antonio Inoki in a semi-final match of the Final Countdown BVD Tournament. Final Countdown 3 BVD Combat Cup Tournament. Good lord. At least that's what it said on yes. New Japan. Words. That's a lot of, lot of words we didn't need. Matt cut out the <laughs> unimportant ones for sure. Three. Did this really happen two other times? So, Gordo is a eight-time Dutch karate champion, winning from 78 to 85. A world champion in Savat, which is basically French karate, in 1992. He was actually in the finals of UFC 1 in 1993. He lost to Royce Gracie in the finals. Oh, wow. Yeah. This guy's legit. Uh, he also looks like the... A like white power guy from a '90s movie. <laughs> not saying that he is. I don't know the man's uh, politics. I'd like to assume that he's not. Just I'd like to assume that everybody's not. Seeing the word "sabat" wrote out, I want it to be "sabate," since it's French karate. Sabate. <laughs> it might actually be. I just don't know how <laughs> yeah, to say yeah. French words. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I figured "sabat" because like "sabat kick" or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know if that's spelled the same or not. Anywho. So the last time we saw Anoki. Clash 28, our favorite match, episode 128, mm, against uh, William Regal. Mm-hmm, which, that match, moderately similar to some of the things we're going to see here in the BVD Combat 3 tournament for stuff and cup. Yeah. What he said. <laughs> the final countdown stump something. Uh-huh. Final uh-huh. countdown underwear. Yeah, yeah. Yes. The final, final countdown. countdown underwear old-timey ice cream place. <laughs> underwear. <laughs> So we get a cautious start between the two with Gordeaux throwing, hitting some kicks to the legs that trip up Antonio. Gerard then starts throwing some jabs when Inoki charges at him in the corner, only for Gordeaux to move out of the way. Oh, Inoki is kind of really doing nothing and just looking um, more angry with every second that moves forward. And we've got like Akira uh, Hokuda, the famous Japanese uh, female wrestler on commentary. We showed her on the cam, so shout out to her. Antonio's trying to pick up the pace, trying to pull Gerard in, taking him down to the mat for Godot to make the ropes. Anoki dives in for the leg, and then they roll around momentarily until Gerard makes the ropes again. Antonio, he's just getting tired of all this. He does like a cheap elbow. So he literally just, he, he like claps at Godot, and then starts throwing hard lefts and rights, goes for a spinning heel kick, but Anoki catches it and counters into a sleeper, for the submission and, and the win. win. I'm pretty sure Anoki was getting tired of getting punched in the chest over and over again because Anoki isn't very good at blocking punches. I'd say Sting wasn't very good at blocking kicks either. I think they were like 
I felt bad for Sting because I was like, Sting probably showed up and was like, hey, we're going to do this. Then you're going to, you know, wrestle Anoki. Spoiler alert. And he's like, okay, cool. And then, like, they get in the ring. And basically, they probably just told the two guys that weren't Anoki and Sting, like, throw some stuff. They'll, yeah. they'll block it. <laughs> Go five minutes and then Sting and then get on the scorpion deadline. Whenever they put you in a submission, just, just, you know, tap out. You know, that kind of thing. And like Palmieri's like just like throwing kicks at Sting's head, just like left and right, like these huge massive kicks. And Sting has no idea. What Sting's do. just like, what is going on? like? <laughs> I felt, okay, just yeah, let's get this done with. And I felt bad for um, Gerard as well because he just seems pissed off about Anoki being pissed off, and I know that like Gerard would have just murdered Antonio Anoki in real life. And we're headed to our ninth match. Tatsutoshi Goto and Kingo Kimura versus Yoshiaki Yatsu and Riki Choshu. Last time we saw Choshu was in the G1 Climax 94, episode 126. I remember Choshu. Goto at Super Show 1, episode 55. Probably don't remember him. Nope. Episode what? 55. Mm. So this is our actually our first time to see Yatsu, but... He has been. He was actually in the previous year's G One, and has been a longtime tag partner of Choshu. We just didn't. We yeah. didn't get to see. Choshu gets the big pop because he's Ricky Choshu. Exactly. Goddamn Ricky Choshu. So Ricky and Goto match up early on with both Ooh. delivering kicks and knees. Yoshiaki with multiple running double axe handles to take over, hitting a back body drop and a backbreaker for a two count. Kingo goes for the arm of Yatsu when he comes in, only for Yoshiaki to body slam Kabura down. Choshu comes in, only for his opponents to work him over with double teams. And Tatsutoshi with headbutts, but Riki comes back with a vertical suplex. Yatsu with an insiguri and some slaps, only for Goto to no-sell and slap back. Kingo comes in with knees and starts biting the forehead of Yoshiaki before Tatsutoshi Tosses Yatsu to the floor. I like Goto's, uh, you know, tough guy vibes. Back in the ring, they go to a test of strength. Only for Goto to deliver several headbutts. Yoshiaki then fires up to deliver a back suplex on Kimura before hitting a spike pile driver with Choshu coming in off the top rope. Ricky continues with stomps and a scorpion deathlock with Yatsu coming off the top rope with an elbow drop across the back, followed by a power slam on Kingo for a near fall. Kamira comes off the ropes to hit a jumping leg lariat, followed by Tatsutoshi hitting a clothesline and a back suplex for a two count. Kingo's back in to hit another leg lariat for a near fall, and tells Goto to go down the ramp while he grabs hold of Yatsu. When Tatsutoshi comes charging back down with a lariat, only for Yoshiaki to avoid Forcing Kimura to take the blow. I mean, you know, when some guy's holding him, and you're going to make that big long run? Can't have that miscommunication. Oh, man. It's like getting on, you know, having the manager hold the guy on the apron. Yatsu clotheslines Goto. Choshu with a lariat and a scorpion deathlock on Kingo. But Satsutoshi delivers multiple headbutts to break the hold. Kimura recovers to hit several kicks before Goto holds Ricky allowing Kingo to hit another jumping leg lariat. Choshu fires up with a back suplex on Goto, 
makes the tag, which brings in Yoshiaki to deliver a power slam and multiple bulldogs to Kimura. For the pin. And no! Tatsutoshi breaks it up. Goto with a body slam, followed by a combo clothesline leg lariat by him and Kingo. Yatsu is about to be hit with a spike pile driver when Ricky runs into the ring to break it up and hits a superplex on Goto, allowing Yoshiaki to deliver a power slam onto Kimura. Choshu is then tagged in officially and hits multiple lariats on Kingo for the pin and, and the, the win. win. I don't really like Kingo's leg lariat knee thing. It's different. Yeah, it just, it, like, it's kind of confusing looking. You don't really ever see the, like, connection. It's just a, a weird, maybe it was the shots, I don't know. I don't know. He does it a lot in this match, that's for sure. Definitely. The show is long. It would have helped without the shoot matches. Yeah. We head to our 10th match. Junji Hirata and Tatsumi Fujinami versus Sabu. <gasps> And Masahiro Chono. I mean, you know, Chono and Sabu seems like a, you know, Total. a money team. Yeah. The fuck are you doing? There, yeah, you Sabu? got the you got the uh, the air Sabu and the Yakuza kick. So we have seen Harada before. He was super strong machine. Oh. But Chono had turned on him, so he would unmask. Ooh. It's on. Mask off. Pissed. So they probably haven't had a singles match yet? I don't think they have. So this is uh, kind of a teaser. And then you get Cebu and plays for Fujinami on here. So we last saw Chono at the G1 Climax 94, episode 126. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but Chono's looking very heelish at this point, wearing like the black uh, slicker Matrix-looking yeah. jacket. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what he wears... NWO Japan. Yeah, yeah. So when, he, has when he gets already. into the like the more like Japanese gangster gimmick, starts wearing the sunglasses that he still wears to this day. Yeah. I think they're fused to his head at this point in his That's life. That's the Chono that I was first introduced to. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, made an appearance in WCW and. Yeah, so yeah, his heel turn really is him turning on Super Strong Machine. Super Strong Machine and the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also haven't seen Fujinami since the G1 Climax '93 which was episode 97. Also, if you've listened to a few of our episodes in, in the last little bit, it's been almost eight weeks to the day when Sabu broke his neck at November to remember yeah. episode 133. When, uh, he, when he stared at Chris Benoit in the eyes and then broke his own neck. <laughs> I don't know that that was Benoit's fault. It looked like Sabu just being Sabu. <laughs> but hey, Benoit took the rewards for that. The crippler was born. So Sabu and Masahiro attack as soon as they are in the ring, breaking out into a brawl with Sabu grabbing a chair to hit Air Sabu on Junji. Sabu then takes the chair into the ring to try for another Air Sabu, this time on Tatsumi. But Fujinami moves, causing Chono to take the blow. It's chaos. Fujinami tosses Sabu to the floor while Hirata hits a chair shot across the back of Masahiro, knocking him out to the floor. Tatsumi rolls Sabu back into the ring to be clotheslined by Jinjiri, followed by a body slam before Fujinami comes in with a top rope knee drop and locking on a sleeper. Sabu makes it to the ropes to tag in Chono, who goes right after Tatsumi, 
but he doesn't want any of Masahiro, so he tags Harada right back in. Junji and Chono back and forth, clotheslines, shoulder blocks, kicks, but no one is gaining an advantage until Harada hits a turnbuckle smash and a snapmare. Sabu flips over a back body drop attempt from Junji before hitting a spinning heel kick, which brings in Fujinami, only for him to be choked down. I love him just like rolling off of his back as if it was like the hood of a car and then just landing the spin kick. It was a, a really... For a man who's not particularly smooth, it was pretty smooth Sabu. Tatsumi with a shoulder block on Masahiro begins to work the legs and back with the help of Harada before Chono counters into an STF on Junji. Sabu with a body slam, slingshot senton leg drop for a two count, but Harada hits a clothesline and a DDT to retaliate. Fujinami attempts a vertical suplex, but Sabu blocks to take Tatsumi to his corner, only for Masahiro to throw Fujinami back to his corner because he wants Harada. It's on, man. That's what people are here for. Sabu's, Sabu and Fujinami are just, uh, you know, the icing on uh, the quality-made cake between this feud. Chono with a body slam and heads up top for a shoulder block. Goes for another, but Junji meets him up top to bring Masahiro down with a superplex before hitting a clothesline and a charging into the corner, only for Chono to move, sending Harada into the turnbuckle. Masahiro with a Yakuza kick. Sabu in to hold Junji for Chono to deliver more of them, followed by another slingshot leg drop by Sabu. Love all his all Sabu's stupid shit that everybody loves about Sabu are also my favorite things about Sabu, is what I'm really saying. Fujinami runs in to try to break up another Yakuza kick, only to receive one himself, knocking him out to the floor, with Sabu following out after him. Sabu goes for a chair in the crowd, but they're connected, so he can't just grab one. Yeah, he did. nobody gave him the memo that, like, these chairs are interlocked at yeah. the Tokyo Dome or whatever, so he just, like, tries it a couple of times, like, fuck, like, where's the god, where are the loose chairs? Yes. He finds one, don't worry. To throw chairs in the ring. Yeah, Sabu can find him a chair if he needs a chair. He can, <laughs> he can channel one out of thin air. I mean, that's got to be part of his contract. They're bringing him over. <laughs> yeah. I need at least three chairs nearby. <laughs> mm-hmm. Masahiro tosses a table into the ring, while Sabu finally takes the timekeeper's chair, bringing it into the ring, where he hits Junji over the head, before setting the table up and placing Harada onto it all while Chono and Tatsumi brawl on the outside. Sabu then sets a chair on the top rope, then places an open chair on top of that. So he makes basically a table out of the corner by putting a chair on it, then puts a chair on top of that chair that's in like the position that you would sit a chair in. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? You just broke your neck. He climbs on top of his construction to leap off with a leg drop onto Junji, only for him to move, so he dents the table, but doesn't break it. If this is so fucked, because, like, uh, Junji is, like, slow to turn, because obviously the spot is, like, him moving and Sabu going through the table, but he's slow to turn, so he catches, like, Sabu's leg to the side of his head, yeah. and Sabu only, like, dents the table, and I'm just like, fuck, this is no good, uh, Junji. You gotta be quicker than that. I guess Sabu moves through the air faster than some people. That's why he's Air Sabu. 
Fujinami and Masahiro back in the ring where Tatsumi hits a body slam before tossing Sabu to the floor and falling out to brawl. Hirata hits a clothesline and a powerbomb on Shono before heading up top for a diving headbutt for an airfall. <sighs> Junji starts running the ropes to hit lariats, but Sabu has a chair and hand on the outside, hitting Hirata in the back, which then allows Masahiro to hit a Yakuza kick for the pin and, and the win. win. It's a good finish considering the feud, which I was not aware of until you told me, and now I'm like, oh, well, this makes a lot more sense. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, it, Chono on top with this guy getting hit Only in the back. Only Kevin Kelly telling us some backstory for this. <sighs> yeah. It is what it is. There's Thanks, this game at the internet. So we head to our 11th match. Scott Norton versus Road Warrior Hawk. Or Hawk Warrior, as it says on the internet. <laughs> Technically, he was Hawk Warrior back in, in Japan. Yeah, yeah, but, you know. We all we know, know, we all know who he is. He's just fun a Hawk, yeah, Hawk, Hawk Warrior. We will with, see Power Warrior later tonight. With Road Warrior Animal in his corner. So the match gets going. It's back and forth until Scott delivers multiple back elbows, an avalanche splash, shoulder block, and a power slam. But instead of making a cover... He taunts Animal on the outside. Yeah, Scott Norton's being a real shithead here. Also, it looks like he gained 80 pounds. Like, he was huge last time we saw him, but this dude is fucking yoked. He is gigantic. I mean, he was teaming with old Hercules before, so maybe he... Yeah. We haven't seen Hercules since. Maybe he ate him, because Scott (laughs) Norton looks huge, but by huge, I don't mean fat. I mean, like, this man is like yoked yeah yeah he looks like like one and a half scott steiners <laughs> like he's chaps yeah he's huge one and a half like young scott steiners <laughs> not big pop of pump but i mean and this match is also called the strongest obviously and my money's on scott norton just based on size alone norton hits a big boot and charges at road warrior only to be back body dropped to the floor where hawk follows out to run scott into a guardrail several times Back into the ring, Road Warrior comes off the top with a clothesline, only for Norton to duck to avoid, sending Hawk back out to the floor, where Scott follows out to slam his head into the apron. Norton tries for a running power slam into a ring post, but Road Warrior slinks out the back, running Scott right into the steel, head first. Posted. They head back in where Hawk hits a vertical suplex, leaping fist drop before heading off down the rampway. Charging back and leaping up over the ropes with a clothesline back into the ring. Road I don't know Warrior... if he quite caught it all, but it's pretty impressive. At least his feet didn't catch the ropes and he fell flat <laughs> on his face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this might have been, you know, prime pill period for this man. So yeah, we're just, right. I'm just glad he's safe. Road Warrior breaks out some chops and right hands before a leaping shoulder block for a two count. Continues with a body slam and heads up top, coming off with a crossbody, only to be caught by Norton and dropped with a backbreaker across the knee. Scott continues with a Samoan drop, taunts Animal by calling him a motherfucker. I love it. I love Scott Norton just like talking shit to Animal. animal. Yeah, I was like, it's Animal, right? It's Animal's out there. But it was a shorter guy. Animal uh, on the outside, like just he's just really going all in. Norton then hits a powerbomb on Hawk. Norton continues to taunt Animal before tossing the Road Warrior out to the ramp where he picks him up and places his feet on the ropes before dropping him 
with a DDT. Oh, good old drape DDT, man. Ooh, from Norton to Orton. I don't know if it hurts more, but it looks cool. Animal then makes his way onto the ramp, shoving Scott away so he can check on his fellow road warrior. But the ref gets in between them, forcing Animal back down to the floor. Norton then takes Hawk back into the ring and places him in a torture rack before just dropping him to taunt Animal some more. Yeah, he just puts in the torture rack and just stares at Animal in the face. and like, what are you going to do about it, buddy? Several running clotheslines by Scott goes for a third, only for Animal to trip him up from the outside. Scott is pissed off and looks to go after Animal, but the ref stays in between them, allowing Hawk to climb the ropes, coming off with a flying lariat for the pin and And the the win. win. Scott Norton's pissed. He is not liking it. He also kind of should be pissed. He didn't really cheat. He's just like smacking. No, the Road Warriors are the ones that cheated. I know. Yeah, it's kind of funny because it's seeing Hawk work from underneath is wild. Those guys are the king of no-selling. Granted, it's also not 1987. Actually, actually in singles matches, Road Warrior usually does the majority. Like, if you remember, there was that Road Warrior Hawk versus Ric Flair match. Oh, yeah. Where you're thinking, Hawk's going to just, like, destroy Flair. But Flair, babe, like, Flair heel. He actually him. sold for Flair. Like, yeah. He's a tag team wrestler, doing yeah. tag team wrestler stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, also, like, Scott Norton's... A younger man, and he stays in Japan. Yeah, but speaking of the inter, like the crowd did not like that interference. They like no. started to boo. No, they did not like it at all. And unfortunately, on the videos, like literally as soon as the pin's done, the sound cuts out. Yeah, because they don't want to pay for music. So rights. I really one really would like to have heard the reaction after the pin. Because I kind of wonder if this was designed to be a heel turn for the Road Warriors, or if they just wanted a, they actually wanted a pin and not like a double countout type. Yeah, yeah. Because like Scott Norton, I don't know a whole lot about Scott Norton. I know that he's more famous in Japan, and he worked there a lot. But I don't know what the his storylines or the fandom or yeah. what kind of accolades he accrued in his career. But, I mean... He makes it to the top at one point. He he kind of looks like he should. He looks like he could murder everybody by flexing. Just stare at him in the eye, call him motherfucker and flex. I think it might hurt. And then he comes to WCW. <laughs> and... You can probably guess. It's not so hot? Not so hot. I mean, he's... I well, mean, he's the, part of a team of... He was the B-Squad of NWO. True. Is that the Wolfpack? No. <laughs> Like, this is before they broke up, and but, like, half the crew was in NWO. Yeah. This is like Kevin Nash, the Wolfpack. Virgil basically. and... Buff and... Yeah. Everything Mr. was... Mr. Perfect. Everything was NWO at one point, right? Yep. Yes. Except for, yeah. Except for DDP and Sting. Yeah. <laughs> and Sting eventually caved in. And it became Wolfpack. Yeah. But that was Wolfpack. That yeah, was... that's when he started doing the red makeup or whatever. Yeah. That's when the NWO fought each other, so... Yeah. It, I imagine that's when DDP somehow rose to the top and became a, the biggest star for like half a second. I mean, he was already there, but I mean, he's just been around for a long time. But he didn't become like a star in wrestling until like he was fucking like forty. Yeah, until like till the the dot like the late nineties, like right before. I mean, we've literally seen what like 
four DDP matches. Yeah, like the end of the Monday Night Wars. Like the next time we see him, he's like literally gonna be in main events, basically. Yeah, DDP is show like becomes the like main guy right before the Monday Night Wars end, basically. Yeah, and uh, you know he also gets to be in one of the greatest movies of all time, Ready to Rumble. So five five. (laughs) <laughs> which we'll cover in episode 472 I was hoping it was going to be 420 because that would be yeah, can, uh, you guys uh, just wait for our uh, talk over of Ready to Rumble starring David Arquette and uh, some other guy they're not in Philly in that movie are they? I have no idea where they're at <laughs> I know that the movie starts with a shit joke yep because they're emptying like, it probably ends with a shit joke too oh wait David Arquette wins the title <laughs> Doo-doo. So we head to our 12th match. Sting versus Antonio Inoki in the finals of the Final Countdown BVD tournament. And we got English commentary with Kevin Kelly and Mark Warzecki. So I found out Warzecki was a comedy writer who now works for Second City. But he was in New Japan at least through some point in 2018. See, I like that when people start at a wrestling show and then go to one of these other places instead of becoming an entertainment writer and then being hired by WWE because they like their one joke that they heard in something. <laughs> or because their name is Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah. Supposedly there's there was some like famous comedians and stuff that wrote for WWE at points in time. Like I believe Patrice O'Neill of all people uh, rest in peace. Did some Good. some WWF uh, writing, and I think that there's a musician or two that is like that. But there's not a, there's not much information. I just know that they did because I've looked I've looked to see what it was. But you know, nobody wrote anything for this match. No. <laughs> so like, Kevin basically Kevin and Mark, and Mark sounds like he recorded his in auto tune. By the way. But like, they, they literally, they literally do like a like minute and a half intro to the match, basically telling you who the people are. It's like, yeah, we don't know who Antonio Noki and Sting are. And then they're gone, and we get the Japanese comment. It was the weird, like, why even put this they didn't extra really, video on Yeah, the, they didn't really add much to it. That we didn't, like, it wasn't one of those things where they had, like, all this information about the title or, like, a storyline. Because this whole storyline played out in front of us. Bizarrely and unfortunately. Yes. So Sting and Anoki shake hands before the bell rings, and we get a feeling out process until Anoki tries for a kick that misses. Sting takes Antonio down and applies an STF style hold, forcing Anoki to crawl his way to the ropes. Nice and slow. Stinger keeps up the attack with stomps to the back, locks on a single leg crab, only for Antonio to again. Make it to the ropes to break it. Long and slow. Vertical suplex for a two count by Sting. Goes back to the modified STF. Trying to add an arm bar to it this time. But, again, Anoki makes the ropes. He does it with his chin this time. That was my comedy joke writing for wrestling. The Stinger with chops. Kicks to the leg. Puts the Scorpion Deathlock on. And Antonio struggles. <sighs> make the ropes. The crowd's going wild. Leaping elbow drop for two. Sting locks on a figure four. But Anoki pulls himself 
to the ropes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the stinger with a running power slam for a near fall. Goes for a second. But Antonio counters into a sleeper. And the ref calls for the stoppage. Yeah, didn't even give Sting a chance to get to the ropes. I know. We gave <laughs> you all those chances. Antonio Inoki is your final countdown BBD champion. Receiving multiple trophies. Oh, and, uh, you know, he shakes Sting's hand or whatever. Big fucking deal. I mean... DVD. (laughs) The whole thing is basically just for Sting and Inoki to be in the ring and for Sting... For them to get the pop of Sting getting Inoki in some holds, which works really well on the crowd because it's Antonio Inoki and it's Sting who is a name and should have been a bigger name at this point but you can hear all about that on uh wcw like 89 to current <laughs> where sing is recently teamed with none other than hulk hogan so you can just guess how that probably goes so we head to our 13th match uh, we're on, yeah. there's just so many matches <laughs> the steiner brothers of rick and scott steiner Versus Hiroshi Hase and Keiji Muto for the IWGP Tag Team Championship. I know, I'm like, and uh, Hase and Muto are the current champions. Correct. Um, and it's nice to see Scott and Rick. Yeah, it's been, been a while. I've been asking about them. The last time we saw them was at Royal Rumble 1994, episode yeah. 110. Almost a whole freaking year. While Muda was at the G1 Climax 94, episode 126. Mm-hmm. And I believe that match we saw them in was probably the one that was Hase and Muda, and they had a suplex machine of a match. Yes, these two teams did match up in the previous year's Tokyo Dome show. And that was the and one where we saw that made the crazy, our shortlist. Yeah, the craziest move we've ever seen. So I saw this and I was like, hmm, like, let's go. So the two teams shake hands before we get Hase and Scott starting us off with some mat wrestling with no one gaining an advantage. Rick looks excited, jumping on the ropes, and is tagged in to start barking and running around the ring before using his power to slam Hiroshi and Muta, while Scott press slams Hase as well to send them out to the floor to regroup. Hiroshi goes out into the crowd and gets a kiss on the cheek from a young lady. Followed by Scott trying to do the same, but she refuses him. What? I mean, I'd probably kiss her if she say over Scott Steiner too. Yeah, but I mean, if it was between, I'll take a kiss from Rick. He's my favorite. <laughs> I, mean, I love true. him. True. I'm a dog faced, a dog faced man. Rick then drops down to the floor, grabbing a different and very scared young lady, <laughs> and gives a her nervous. a kiss on the cheek to give everybody. A good laugh. Uh, she's not into it, but the crowd is. Back in the ring, Rick and KG match up to roll around on the mat for a few moments. Scott comes back in and they mat wrestle as well, with a few pin attempts shared between the two. Hiroshi tags in to start chopping Scott, hits a body slam and a running senton splash. The champions then start working Scott's leg with different submissions. Body slam and flash elbow from Muda. Hase with a top rope knee drop and a figure four. Double team Indian deathlock before KG locks on the figure four, which Rick breaks up. Scott fires up with a forearm and a backdrop suplex on Hiroshi, 
and Rick comes in to continue with a clothesline and a running power slam into the turnbuckle. Scott hits an Oklahoma roll before cranking on the neck of Hase in an SDF, which he makes the ropes to break the hold, only for Rick to come in and reapply the move momentarily. Rick places Hiroshi on the top rope and hits a belly-to-belly superplex. He tries for a second one, only for Hase to counter into a tornado DDT. And you know, this is what we're looking for between these four guys. Wrestling? Mm-hmm. Some big big boy moves back-to-back. KG runs in to hit a dropkick, goes for a handspring back elbow, only to be caught by Rick. But a back elbow frees Muta, who leaps to the top rope and comes off with a crossbody. KG then hits a dropkick to send Rick to the ramp, following out for them to brawl, while Scott hits a tiger driver on Hase in the ring. Muta does the long run down the rampway clothesline. Will it land? But Rick ducks, and Scott is there to deliver a clothesline of his own. I mean, that's fun. But you didn't even run. Rick just, throws... You just gotta put it out. He was already <laughs> moving. He couldn't slow down. Rick throws Muta into a guardrail before rolling back into the ring, where Scott hits an overhead belly-to-belly and locks on a dragon sleeper, only for KG to get his foot on the rope to break it up. Rick's in with a belly-to-belly suplex and starts to wear down Muta with a chin lock. Scott then comes in to hit a suplex as well for a two count. KG's tossed out to the ramp again and Scott delivers a snap suplex, followed by Rick hitting a clothesline to keep Muta from re-entering the ring right away. But once they do re-enter, Scott places KG on the top rope and hits an overhead belly-to-belly suplex for a near fall. The Steiners team up for a top rope powerbomb, but Hase breaks up the pin, so they start beating him down, with the brothers going for stereo moves, only for Muda to reverse to hit a Hurricanrana while Scott hits a Frankensteiner. I mean, I love that spot where it's like, okay, we're going to do the team move, and you always want to run it back because you're like, wait, who took what? Like, it's just nice to see, like, one guy fail where the other guy succeeded. And then it's like, well, yeah. It's a great way to set up a finish, even if that's not going to happen right here. It's a good idea for it. Change the momentum. Scott rolls up KG for two. Dragon suplex and calls for the finish. Lifting Muda up for the Steiner screwdriver. But KG reverses it into a tombstone pile driver. Hiroshi's tagged in and he delivers a Uranagi to Rick. And he starts to swing the dog-faced gremlin around and around. Before starting to chop and kick to no avail. Only for Rick to come back with a clothesline. Hase tries for the Uranagi again. But Rick reverses this time into a DDT. Making the cover only for Muda to break it up. Rick picks Hiroshi up on his shoulders while Scott goes to the top rope. Are we going to recline? Bahase counters into a victory roll for a near fall, while Keiji runs back into the Frankensteiner of Scott. Rick is back to his feet to hit a German suplex on Hiroshi. He tries for one on Muta, but he lands on his feet and hits a dropkick, allowing Hase to deliver a bridging Northern Light suplex, while Keiji keeps Scott at bay. For the pin and, and the win. win. I love that he hits like the 
German on Hase, and it's fucking rough. But then Muda comes in with the drop kick. Hase scoops in. I mean, Northern Lights is similar to a German. It's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, payback's a bitch, and then gets the pin. It's great, but it's not as gnarly as I expected, considering the previous match. Like, this is good, but that previous match that we've watched between these two or four men was Suplex City. Yes. Yes. This was a little more reasonable, but I wasn't. Reason was out the window when I saw all four names again. So, you know, my expectations were probably a little too high. By no means was it bad. No, and it was a nice little follow up to. Sting and Oki. Oh, yeah. Whatever that was. It was nice to see some uh, wrestling between four men that uh, know what they're doing. Didn't have to escape to the ropes. Yeah, they didn't have to fake fight. <laughs> they All they had to do was wrestle, which is professional wrestling is, is fake, guys. Normal size chance. Predetermined. Predetermined. This was more predetermined. They talked about it before. So we head to our 14th match. Kenzuke Sasaki... Versus Shinya Hasamoto for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. So the last time we saw Sasaki, he was Power Warrior in the G1 Climax 1994. Oh, he's still got, I mean, his hair might be even better now. He's got a great great haircut, <laughs> still similar type of gear. Just, you know, drop the paint. Shinya takes the mic before the match starts and he starts yelling at the crowd. I don't know what he's saying, because I think Shinya Hashimoto is... You don't know Japanese? I do not. I think that he was, like, heel-ish at times, but not... But was, you know, strong, mostly a... I think he was a face, basically, his mm-hmm. whole career. So I was uh, curious about that. But he is my guy. And I'm ready to see him just, you know, keep the leg up. And by keep the leg up, I mean those wild kicks. Yeah. And bleed. He always bleeds. Every single match he bleeds. So we get a feeling out process to begin between the two before they start to just slap each other with Kenzuke gaining the advantage, driving Hashimoto to the corner, only for Shinya to charge out with an enziguri, allowing him to take control of the match with his stiff kicks. The ref pulls Hashimoto out of the corner, allowing Suzaki to nail him with a lariat. Kenzuke delivering stiff kicks of his own, followed by several clotheslines, and he starts to wear down Shinya with a chin lock before transitioning to an armbar. Hashimoto is finally tired of all of that and just starts waylaying Suzaki with forearms before working the arm of Kenzuke, including hitting a single arm DDT. Shinya with his stiff kicks, a top rope missile drop kick, and a DDT before heading up top again. Pazazaki meets him there, bringing him down with a power slam. Kenzuke stays on the attack with a lariat for a two count. Suzaki keeps trying to work the arm some more, but Hashimoto immediately finds the ropes each time. So Kenzuke has to use power moves instead, such as a DDT, a power bomb, and a power slam for near falls. I mean, yeah, this is kind of a little closer you know to what i was expecting from the last match maybe they're like hey guys we're gonna like toss each other around quite a bit (laughs) so you know maybe do some crowd work maybe kiss a stranger or two (laughs) shinya's nose has gotten busted open at some point as sazaki is able to lock on the stranglehold gamma 
All which right. is a step over armbar with neck submission. Okay, well that's what that was called because I said uh, armbar neck crank or something in my notes. Hey, you're close. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of what it looked like. But Hashimoto is eventually able to roll out of it. Shinya fires up with a Saito suplex. He goes for another, only for Kazuke to reverse into a backdrop suplex before going back to the stranglehold gamma. Is that like a finisher of his? Or yeah. is it like a... Okay. It's the... His it, submission. It's yeah, yeah, okay. Suzaki it feels then, that way. Suzaki then hits an Apanze for the pin. And no! Hashimoto kicks out. Shinya starts to fire up again with a leg sweep. Goes for a suplex, only for Kazuke to block momentarily. That leg sweep was picture perfect Street Fighter leg sweep. It was great. I couldn't. I lost it. So Hashimoto delivers knees to the gut before hitting a DDT for a two count. Yeah, he just hits the knees and he's still fighting it. So he just slams more knees into him until he can get the DDT. It's fucking classic New Japan shit. Shinya continues with a spinning heel kick for a near fall before delivering a vertical brain buster for the pin and, and the win. win. So post-match, Antonio Inoki is out and presents Hashimoto with his belt before shaking the hands of both competitors. I like how he like puts the belt around him and then there's another guy behind him to snap it together. <laughs> he won't get behind him. Shinya is also handed a trophy before shaking the hand of Suzaki. And then raises his arm to the applause of the crowd. Oh, you got to. You guys went for it. Hashimoto then takes the mic to talk to the crowd once again as we fade to black. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Battle 7? Oh my god, this show is so fucking long. I got through it pretty well. I watched all but the last two matches in one sitting. And I saved the last two because it was very late and I wanted to be fresh for them. So uh, I broke it up a little bit. There's It starts strong and ends strong, I will say. The shoot stuff, in quotations, is uh, not for me. The six-man was good, but a six-man, when I don't really know a whole lot about the story or any or who's who, or the significance, is kind of just guys doing moves to each other very well. But the out, like, you know, I always, it, for, to me, wrestling, I prefer it to be tag teams that are actual tag teams, not just two guys with each other, or a singles match. But I think that's mostly everybody. No one's like, oh, I prefer a six-man tag match. So it's not a crazy thing to say. But I mean... Shinya Hashimoto is just my kind of guy. Big, beefy guy. Leaves it all out there. Power moves out the ass. He's got the attitude when he needs it. So I'm, I was happy to see him at the top of the card. And the match that match works for me super well, as well as the first two. The Steiners, Hase, Muda, good. That we reached highs maybe too early with the, their previous encounter. I think this is the first time that I have not enjoyed a Japanese show that we've watched. It's it's the maybe the least solid. And I came up with four reasons, and I, I don't know if it's one of them, if it's all of them, combo. 
But it's... Is it because there's too many matches? Yep. There's 14 of them. Yeah. I mean, it's a dome it, show. It, it's a, like it's it. a long show. All of the matches go on probably a little bit longer than they probably should. Yeah, yeah most of them are like... 15 minutes if they're not the fake shoot matches which are like five or seven a lot of the matches actually feel very similar yeah like even in a match like the steiners like we have seen them before and that match was great this matchup didn't meet the quality of the last matchup because no, that one I, was like... I felt like they they rolled around on the on the mat way wow. too long. Way, way too much. Like Before getting to the stuff that we want to see from those four guys. And it was like a quarter of the amount of the stuff that we want to see from these guys. This was the first Japan show that typically, because I'm inexperienced with the Japanese wrestling, I'm excited for the next match. I'm excited for the next match and the next one and the next one. And I got to match three and I really had to force myself to watch match four, and then had to really force myself to watch match five, and then I got to match seven. Like, I don't want to watch anymore, because yeah. I'm just, there's just something way different about this show. Than I mean, I, there is, there I is was, sure. I was... <laughs> well, what about the first two like, matches? The, the, no, it started the matches, off good. The matches... Like said, three is what kind of soured mm. me, and then four, I think I was having some fuck-ups with my Wi-Fi anyways, but yeah, then it was just like, I don't... I think that's, yeah, that's the thing. I don't think any of the match. I mean, we're gonna throw the BBB tournament out the window. Like, yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's doo-doo. Like it was. That's a steaming doo-doo. Yes, like it was a train. Like the only reason anyone would like that is if they just like watching train wrecks because that's what that was. The other matches, the, none of them are bad, but none of them are. But wow. just nothing. Really, like, there's literally, I think I mentioned, like, there's one moment in one of the matches that, like, I thought was a really cool moment. But other than that, like, there's nothing that stands out yep. in any of these matches. I think that the main event was very good. I mean, I think if if you wanted to watch some of this show, the two the last two matches are probably the two matches that you should probably watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, the first two are good. First two matches of a show. They're not bad. Yeah, good night. But great. they're not quite. They don't have the energy that like the Super Junior tournament. But they're not even what I want from those kind of matches e- either. Because those are those are our junior heavyweights. I want more of a high flying style. And yeah. Both those matches, they they were mat wrestling. They're more welterweight, like the first yes. match. But I will say that uh, of the first two, as far as people that are not Shinya Hashimoto on this show, uh, Hagana stood out to me because I liked his attitude and character work uh, a lot. He was not the most exciting wrestler, but he was a heel. He wasn't supposed to be the most exciting. But I think the last match gets like the extra ump for me just because I really love watching Shinya Hashimoto. And I have not seen a lot of him, but he's quickly become somebody that sometimes you got guys. Everybody's got guys. Shinya Hashimoto, he feels like one of my guys. So every time he shows up, I get excited, and he has not disappointed me yet. Because I'm, it's it's like a you know, it's like a new puppy. It's like oh, he's still shitting on the floor, but he's cute. <laughs> Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. 
I think it's time we smart it up. So tell me some of those best moments of this show. You can find at least one, Shane. I mean, like, um, go ahead, Mike. I was gonna say, I Hagana's uh, heel work. It was interesting to see Sabu in this atmosphere. Maybe not a high point, but very interesting. I still love the last match. That goddamn spin kick. I jumped out of my fucking desk chair. I was like, ah, yes. But it is overall pretty uh, middling. And it probably could have been... They probably could have had some of those shoot matches early on. Just to get them out of the way. So that when I got to the, like, you know, lighter heavyweight matches, I got excited. As opposed to them starting the show off. Like, yeah. It didn't seem like it was... Probably could have moved some of these around to make it an easier pill to swallow. Uh, also, Tiger Jeet Singh and Tiger Jeet Singh Jr. can fuck the hell off forever. <laughs> <laughs> Those aren't best moments. That's no, but I'm just saying that is yeah. a that is an attraction match, and there was like just like the Sting and Anoki thing, where it's like this is not what we want to see these guys do. Granted, that's all Tiger Jeet Singh does, but like we want to see Anoki and Sting have a wrestling match for Christ's sake. That would have been nice. We would like to see, just like we wanted to see Anoki and Regal have a match. I remember enjoying uh, uh, Goto a little bit. I, you know, even become. I, mean, I complained about the Tenzon uh, Nakanishi match because, like, I was like, it's a kind of a squash, glorified squash match. But it was cool to see Tenzon like show up in his first, yeah. first match back. Basically, it is one of those matches that like you remember the bad stuff more than you remember that match, and that match wasn't bad. It just wasn't like, it wasn't like transformative or anything. It wasn't particularly exciting, but it was a good wrestling match. But the bad stuff really kind of pulls things down here. Uh, Sabu was fun in his match. Yeah, he was very fun. It's he, just he a was fun just to see like him. Like just a kind of a weird addition to New Japan. Yeah, see, so he was going to be my most surprising because. I wouldn't have I mean, guessed I, he was going to be none there. Of, I don't think any of us were, were <laughs> expecting him to be there. So. Yeah. I liked uh, the Scott Norton's energy as well. I would have maybe liked... And you got to see the Steiners again after yeah. a year absence. At least absence on our TVs. But yeah, there's some stuff. It's like uh, Choshu, Yatsu, Kengo, Goto. The ankle locks. Where the, in the Nagata and... Uh, Kanemoto. Yeah. They both had the ankle locks on each other at, at the, the same, same time. exact time. And they both sold and it. Really and they're well. like both selling, but they're both yelling at each other. Yeah. That was that was the moment that I was thinking. That's of. a good moment. There like there is good moments on this show for sure. It just doesn't quite reach some of the highs where we're just like glowing in words. Yeah. How about most disappointing? The it's hard it's the not length, the length of the show. Yeah. yeah. It's not the worst. It's by no means a bad match. But Hase, Mudo, and the Steiners, I was expecting them to like one up themselves. I was too. And they did not. They I mean, didn't. They, they didn't even really get close to what they had done before. Yeah. Granted, I what they done before was stupid and dangerous. Is, that was a a big ass match though that they had last time. So yeah, and this one felt more like a, a match to like lead up to something bigger or whatever. Like maybe it felt like maybe it was gonna lead to a fuck finish and then you'll get a bigger match in them you know but yeah, it just like i don't know it did yeah maybe somebody was hurt and we didn't know so they weren't throwing each other around like that but the wrestlers are always hurt so i'm not sure but that was maybe my the most outside of the stuff that just like had no chance to be good 
that might have been the most disappointing because I had high hopes. I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the most disappointing stuff is that final countdown BVD tournament. Yeah. It's it's just so bizarre. It is interestingly bizarre, but not not interesting enough to watch ever no. again. No, but it's interestingly bizarre. I that mean, is, the, yeah, that is the best way to to talk about those. Like, there's no like, there's no way that we like don't make jokes about it in the future outside of the show to each other because it's so weird best performer of the night i'm just gonna give it to my boy my, my thick my thick boy with the strong leg Shinya hasamoto because i love him dearly and uh you know his nose bleeds like every time he gets in the ring and it just adds adds a little more to the to the situation and this wasn't like a top title match but this was like a really good title match it was uh i didn't think shinya hashimoto was gonna lose but i didn't know he wasn't gonna lose i'm gonna give it to rick steiner oh some of the comedy bits that he did oh it was some of the better comedy he's done some of the best comedy that he's done in a really long time when he's jumping up and down on the uh rope just like ready to get in and he we haven't really seen him super comedic in a while and that was one of the things that i immediately loved about him was because he's funny but it's not like tongue-in-cheek funny he's just kind of like a doofus like he's a dog-faced gremlin he's legitimately just a dog he's he's the most sincere lovable guy yeah yeah he there's no malice or stupidity he, yeah, his com- it's, comedy he's, it's like legitimately like a pit bull that just wants to play with the other dogs. Yeah, and like is just excited to go play, and he did he did that very well. And how about most surprising? I mean, we mentioned Sabu showing up. That's yeah. de- Tenzon showing up. Yeah, his first seeing his first match back from excursion. So that was that was interesting to see. And I did not enjoy this show as so, much as I... That, that might actually be the most... <laughs> yeah, that I did. Well, I didn't love it, and we, I expected we to always, just love it. Like, literally, I've always said, if you can watch Japanese wrestling, watch Japanese wrestling. Yeah. And I went into this show going, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for this. Well, I knew it was Battle 7, and then I was like, oh, wait, it's January 4th? It's like, oh, we're in the Tokyo Dome? Like, okay. And so I had really high expectations. It just didn't... It didn't quite yeah. hit, hit the mark. Well, like I told Michael when I got here, you know, maybe all this time we're talking about Japanese shows and how the the majority of the time those first few matches are all just little snippets that we get to see and we're always saying, I want to see more, I want to see more, and now we get all of it and it's way too much. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. Yeah, I, that is true sometimes. There is kind of a formula to like the new Japan style where everything builds up. It just it legitimately builds up. It starts with people doing like mat wrestling and holds and then we work our way into uh lariats and like shoulder blocks and you know sprinkled power moves, but it typically always tells a story and the finish is worked to. So, but there's some matches on here where that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. uh, and we could have could have had a little more of it. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling, the dusty finish.
Ric Flair was in his fifth reign as the NWA World Champion, having won the title over a year prior. He would beat the man with the hands of stone in Detroit, Michigan on September 25th, 1987. Ronnie Garvin, born 1945, in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, would make his professional debut in 1962. By the mid-60s, he had joined forces with his kayfabe brother, Terry Garvin, winning several tag championships in different regions. He would break off to be a singles wrestler in the early 80s, holding different titles throughout the South, before joining Jim Crockett Promotions. For his accomplishments, Ronnie is a professional wrestling Hall of Famer. After winning the championship in September, the man with the hands of stone would be on a collision course for a rematch with a legend at Starcade 1987. Next week, Royal Rumble 1995. Five, five, yeah. Wait, that's not ECW. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, yeah, we, we were just in Japan. We're gonna we're gonna get to Vince McMahon's wrestling. Damn right, we're going to Tampa. Well, what Florida? Florida. Yeah, this is what this is. Uh, it'll be uh, interesting with you know the Orange Man. Fresher in WCW and Bret Hart being being the guy over here, and they got some other big guys, and we've seen some good things. And who could possibly win this Royal Rumble? You guys watching those mullets too? Oh yeah, they're getting classic. Mm-hmm. Music from this week's show is the score by Emerson Lake and Powell, and our man Shinya Hasamoto won the main event, so we play his song Prologue by Goldwing. I'm going to have to look that up because I don't know what it is because New Japan doesn't pay for those tunes. Yeah. Everything goes silent once the yeah, show ends. So right. I know, yeah, know Hase's theme. It's one of my favorites. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. You can email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns. Recipes! What are we doing? What are we doing? What food do they have in Florida? Uh, well, we've had some good food in Florida. I want some yeah. damn drink recipes from Florida. Yeah. Uh, I want to know if anybody knows what the signature cocktail of Tampa is. Jump in our DMs and, and tell me. Well, he said. And you can do that on Twitter at Wrestling Histo X. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O X. We'll talk to you next week. The the laters Sound like Jack? No, like Shane's. <laughs> <laughs>